the country with your host, Dave Woods. This is the radio show where country music gets up close and personal. Spend some time in the country and get to know our guests. Spend some time in the country where the music's the best. The latest news and memories to great stories that get told. Spend some time in the country, now it's time we start the show. Ontario's own Thomas Wade joins me on the show now to talk about his brand new album. It's called Blue Country Soul. And there are so many great songs on this album that have that old-time feel, a Motown kind of sound. We'll get Thomas to describe exactly what Blue Country Soul is, and we'll uh, play several songs from that album. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks, Dave. It's, It's great to be here. Great to have you here. You've been on a couple of times before. Always great to chat. And most recently, I had a great time seeing you and hearing you perform as part of Tin Pan North. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, th- those are always fun to do. You you look so natural up there. Obviously, you've done it a long time, and that is your comfort zone. But it's you and your guitar, and you're sharing stories. And some of the songs, of course, are very humorous, and some are very serious. Yeah, that's me. You know what I mean? There, there's, there's a lot of people that uh, remember me and they think that, uh, oh my God, that's that crazy guy. He's, you know, I'll laugh a minute. And then there's other people who know me and, oh yeah, no, no, that's not Thomas at all. He's very, very serious. So that's the, that's me (laughs) divided right down the middle between crazy and, and somber. (laughs) And this is your first stu- this is incredible your first studio album in 16 years. Yeah. The first one I've done for me. Yeah. Um it's well it's it, it, in essence this is the first time I've been able to record in 16 years. Incredible and we will get into that. Uh, in fact, why not let's let's start with that. You've you talked about it and at that night at Tin Pan North, you told the story as well. Uh, back in 2001, of course, you, but prior to that, Thomas Wade and Wayward, a bunch of big country singles and awards, and your solo album in, in the year 2000, Lucky 13. And then 2001 rolls around, and you start to lose your voice. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a funny thing, because when when something like this happens, I mean, initially... Uh, you you go to the the most likely um, issue, right? Um, anybody who who's ever had a, a, a voice problem, you know, they go to the obvious first, and so you think, you know, that maybe you're you're not singing correctly, or you know, you go to maybe it's an allergy or something like that, and those are the things that I mm-hmm. went to, and um, it wasn't my first vocal problem. I mean, I had surgery on my vocal cords in uh, 1997, uh, immediately after the 1997 CCMA Awards, of which, you know, we performed on the show. And uh, I actually, during the, during the rehearsal for the show, the sound check and all that, the producer for the show uh, told me that we would have to lip sync. And, um, wow. and I said, no way. I said, no way, I'll have a voice, I promise. So I went up into the green room and I worked on having a voice for three hours and uh, with steaming and humming and stuff. 
And by the time that the show happened, I had a voice as evidenced by you can go on YouTube and find that performance. And yeah, I sounded fine. But uh, uh, my voice was pooched um, from touring. and But I thought that's all it was. So then I had the surgery and then I went and I sang for a while longer and it seemed fine. And then all, I just started gradually losing my range and losing my power and uh, I didn't know what was going on. And by 2001, uh, uh, December 2001, I got this strange sound in my voice and I couldn't stop it. And uh, hmm. the only way I can describe it is if you can picture a uh, a sail uh, listing, you know, when, when a sail gets blown by the wind and it kind of flaps. It was mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and I couldn't stop it. And I tried, to, and I went to all kinds of doctors, and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. And uh, and then eventually, I lost the ability to speak, like my voice, like not my voice, but my mouth. I couldn't pronounce words, and I I sounded oh as goodness. if it had a stroke. And uh, that was as of two thousand four. So I spent uh, two years. Um, not being able to sing, and then as of 2004, uh, I started not being able to speak, and um, and it took until 2006 to get diagnosed, and it was uh, called oromandibular dystonia, and that's but that's just a word, you know. I mean, it basically means I can't talk good, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, I can laugh about it now. But uh, I remember that that. The night at Tin Pan North, you said something about the name that uh, for what was the, the the humorous spin you put on oh, it that it's night? Oh, like ten ten syllables for uh, a disease. Um, you know, for a guy that can't even order a coffee. I mean, that's incredible. Right. Ten. <laughs> it's. I believe it's ten syllables. <laughs> Kid me. You know. Oh wow. Um, but. Uh, you know, I mean, as I said, it's it's basically, you know, just a a name for a disease. And um, the reality of it was a lot different. And uh, from, you know, from one degree to another, I, I spent uh, almost 10 years not being able to sing and um, you know, sometimes barely able to speak and, and sometimes it wasn't, you know, quite so bad. It, people just thought I had a weird accent. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but, you know, fast forward to 20, well, 15 is when I started recording my last record and, uh, a lot of stuff happened <laughs> in that time, but, uh, yeah, incredible. That's One such of the a things- long story. It's, it's so hard to, it's so hard to even uh, talk about it because sure. A lot of reasons. Number one, it's one of those things um, that when it happened, nobody could tell me why. And I figured out why since. And uh, I'm writing a book to explain why and to help other people, um, you know, who might possibly be having problems. Um, Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it's I find that it's funny because sometimes I try to explain it to people. And it's it's so hard to conceive of, 
you know, opening your mouth and all of a sudden for no apparent reason not being able to talk, you know, you're completely healthy <laughs> otherwise, you know, strong as an ox, you know, can work all day long, but you just can't do the only yep. thing that you actually want to do. <laughs> yeah. That must have been, uh, I mean, needless to say, and it's hard to sum up 10 years of going through that, but, uh, I mean, it must have been, how did you get through that? How did you mentally and emotionally survive all that? You know, I think the reason that I did is, uh, first of all, I don't know why I'm like this, (laughs) but... (laughs) I I just don't seem to be able to I just can't. I don't know right. I mean even when I when I couldn't sing anymore um I still played for other people and I I still produced and I still co-wrote and it was incredibly awkward to to be in situations like being in a studio or to sit there with somebody um, that I'm writing with when I used to, you know, I used to sing like a bird, you know, I was born singing like a bird and all of a sudden (laughs) my voice is terrible. You know, I just sounded awful and it's, it's quite humbling to do that. So the only thing I can think of is number one, I just, uh, um, I just don't know when to say when, and the other thing is um, that I have, uh, you know, I mean, I know everybody says this, but I just have such a deep love for music that um, even when it was, you know, you can imagine, this would be like if you had a relationship with someone, uh, you're married, let's say, for a long time, and all of a sudden this person yep. just totally abandoned you but you were okay to hang around with him. You know, it's like Lindsay Buckingham. You know, <laughs> I'm still going to hang around Stevie Nicks and help produce her, even though she crushed me. Right? It was like that. It's like I still <laughs> love it so much that I can't help yeah. it. And that's that's what it was like. And I really think that's what really overall brought me through, is it? I just, no matter what anybody said or says, I I just can't quit. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I didn't Incre- quit. I mean, yeah. Well, it's incredible. I mean, that you, that you didn't quit and that you get to do what you love. And now this new album is out, Blue Country Soul, which is one of the reasons why we are here. And we're going to share a few songs from it, Thomas, which is great. Uh, Let's start with, and we're going to come back and talk about lots more about Blue Country Soul. And we also have a cool Celine Dion story coming up, uh, which we will get to. But let's talk about That's What Love Looks Like, which is a song from the new album. Tell me a bit about it, and we'll let everybody hear your lovely voice. Okay. Um, That's What Love Looks Like was uh, uh, written in the first uh, um batch of tunes that I wrote with Tim Taylor um, back in 2012. And um, I I had very, very fresh pipes at that time. I had only just started being able to sing again. And that song, um, that idea had been with me for a while. 
that whole idea that, uh, you know, uh, women are, are under such pressure and like, actually I think guys are even getting it now, uh, to, you know, to be just perfect, just to, Mm -hmm. to be flawless and all of this airbrushing and all of these, you know, filters to make people look like they should be on a magazine cover. And, and it just, you know, and that whole thing of just trying so hard to be, you know, some certain way, but, you know, if someone loves you, they just love you. And, and, you know, that idea of wanting to say that to the person that I love, you know, so I essentially wrote it for my wife to say, you know, every way you are, this is, that's what love looks like to me, you know? And, Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what that song's about. It's a beautiful sentiment and a great song from the album Blue Country Soul. Let's hear it now from my guest Thomas Wade. That's what love looks like on In the Country. I see you looking in the mirror All the little lines The gentle reminders Of the passage of time And you don't think it's the picture Of the girl you used to be Baby That's what love looks like to me I see you at your dresser table Tracing silver strands of hair But they're all part of your beauty the man who put them there Don't you know how much I want you How can I make you see That baby That's what love looks like to me How 
And that is Thomas Wade with a brand new song. It's called That's What Love Looks Like. And you'll find that on his album available at iTunes. It's called Blue Country Soul. It's a great title. Tell me what Blue Country Soul is, Thomas. Well, Blue Country Soul is basically uh, the essence of, I believe is the essence of, of me musically. That's That's what I believe it is. And you know, as you know, this this album was my first you know chance to make a record in a long time, and when I made it, it was basically like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do exactly what I am, and that mm-hmm. sort of encompasses what I what I, everything that I have uh, loved in music. Um, you know, the blues, sort of like the blues side of music, very much me. Country, obviously, um, born and raised. And, you know, soul music is something that I've been very much into um, and learned from. So I just thought, you know, I mean, you know, I could have thrown a lot of things in there. Uh, when I was in college, I listened to the Sex Pistols. But I'm not going to throw a punk in there, you know. <laughs> blue country punk soul <laughs> no blue country soul i mean it's just the essence of basically me musically and i think my voice and um yeah uh so that that's really what the idea was just to sort of sum up what i'm about and especially now because i'm coming out with this record um you know there are a lot of fans who ex- are listening for me to do what I did before. And, you know, I don't want to do that thing that people sometimes do where they abandon their earlier stuff. Uh, um, but I also want people to maybe get that what I ended up doing ultimately was a result of of the music that I was raised with and the music that I was... Uh, that I absorbed when I was a, when a young person, and uh, that's what Blue Country Soul is. So, um, and the other thing about it is that even you know this has been it's been a long road for me. It's been a long time. I mean, um, you know, from 2000 to 2016, you know, that's a long time between recordings, mm-hmm. and. It's kind of like I, I want people to sort of understand that this is this is me sort of, you know, they say you grow an entirely new body every seven years. Well, I've grown two new bodies since my last recording. So this is a new me. 
and this new me is basically based on the old me, based on the the me before I even started recording. Mm-hmm. Goes right back to your roots of listening to Johnny Cash and Elvis, and in the family band that you were in called the Silver Wings, which I am that's going right. to uh, make a leap and say that uh, that's got a Merle Haggard influence to the title, to the name. Well, he sure does, and. Um, Merle Haggard does figure large in my musical etymology, but uh, and and there, there's nobody saying that I'm not going to do a record like that at some point because I might. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also love that music, and you know I've never stopped. This is sort of like where I'm at right now. And there may come a time when I don't do blue country soul. I might do country, country, country. You know, it could happen. <laughs> well, it's a great album. As I said before, we went on the air and, and after I uh, saw you at Tin Pan North, you gave me a copy of the album. I've been listening to it in the car, uh, which is always a great place to listen to music. And I told you after sure. listening to it a few times, you know, some of the songs on here sound like instant standards. In other words, somebody could tell me it was a cover song, and I'd believe them. A song like She's Already Gone, and another one which we're going to hear later in the show called Funny, What Makes You Cry, is just a wonderful song. You can be really proud of, of all of these songs. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am so proud of it, uh, and, and I'm so proud of the, the recordings, um, how well they measured up to to my vision uh, well I mean I don't know what you call a vision when it's your ears but my <laughs> oral vision or whatever it is um, and you produced they that. really you did your... and, and I got the right group of guys like uh, yeah. going into the studio we went to phase one in Toronto and I I already knew that the people I had to have on the session had to be people that that were important to me and important to my musical history. And uh, the first one is John Diamond. Um, Johnny Diamond is, you know, I say without reservation, is the best bass player in the country and and possibly any country. Um, And he's all over Facebook. You can't miss Johnny Diamond and his worldwide antics uh john <laughs> was on uh thomas wade and wayward he he played bass on the first record so we go a long way back um i've known john since uh i think 2000 uh, 1984 probably wow yeah it's a long time that's ago. 32 years if i'm doing the math correctly yeah. crazy <laughs> And then the next choice uh, was Steve O'Connor. And Stevie has been on everything I've recorded after uh, after Thomas Wade and Wayward. He's been on every recording. And um, he's just uh, got such a touch. I mean, he's very well known in studio circles and certainly the best. I, I think he's the best in the country. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, Gary Craig is, was the drummer to, to ask to do this. He, you know, he just understands, he's very musical and he understands the genre that I was dealing with. 
And mm-hmm. um, so that was the first thing. I had to have the right guys. And, of course, Corey Barnes right. is my engineer. He's the guy that I use on everything. Um, I played all the guitars. And uh, background vocals was uh, myself and my brother and, and my wife, Denise. So very homegrown And I understand, project. Thomas. Thomas, I understand you also had an awesome producer on this project. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's just such a hard ass. <laughs> can I say ass? You can say I that on the, on podcast radio. I just said it twice. <laughs> you can say that anywhere. <laughs> okay. Well, you can these days, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Thomas Wade <laughs> produced it. That uh, rascal. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's it like producing your own work? I know that you've produced basically all the stuff you've ever done. Is it what? What is that like producing yourself versus somebody else producing you? Um, I have never had another producer. Right. So it's hard for me to say, but I would say this: that when I was younger, it seemed a lot easier. Um, because uh, I guess I've always operated so much from this, you know, when I say inner vision, uh, the truth of it is that, that, um, I, I do have a very well-developed imagination, uh, and, you know, um, as in, I really, completely can can finish productions in my imagination. I don't have to play something mm. to know what it sounds like. Uh, for me, I can substitute out instruments. I can change tempos. I can change keys. I can do all of it in my imagination. And, um, you know, I know that sounds a little wacky, but that's always <laughs> the way that I've been. And, um, right. Uh, so that's how I did things. I, I kind of, I was driven by that sort of inner, uh, destination. You know, I, I knew what the destination was usually from the time I wrote the song, I could already tell. I knew what the opening riff sounded like. I mean, if you listen to, um, songs like, um, um, I read lips from the first, the Thomas Wade and Wayward album. Right. I heard that song finished before I even wrote it. Oh. I heard the riff in my head and hadn't even written the song yet. Um, Pretty amazing. Song, um, 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 the Loser Wins Again, you know, very much the same thing. Um you know, lying here with you, the same thing. I'd already, I could yeah. already hear it finished in my head. So that it made it very, you know, it's good that I wasn't working with somebody else because I probably just would have had a hard time with it. <laughs> um, but now, yeah, I know, I wouldn't have been very popular. And um, but such is life, right? Um, That's too funny. But but I did find that now after 16 years 
even though ultimately my inner vision, again, they didn't fail me because it sounds exactly like I, I thought it would. Um, the string parts on Funny What Makes You Cry and That's What Love Looks Like uh, and all the vocal parts, you know, all those are um, parts that I arranged um, and wrote and, you know, that all happened in my imagination. So even though I I had a bit of self-doubt, um, I didn't know any other way to proceed, so I just did it. And uh, it worked out, thank goodness. But I'm not saying that I wouldn't ever want to work with a producer, because I, I actually think that okay. on my bucket list is one of these days I would like to have a producer. That would be nice, because... If all I had to do was write the songs and sing them, that might be nice for a change. It's a lot of pressure. Exactly. Doing all that other stuff. It's it's a lot. That makes sense to me. Let's turn to another song uh, from the album, Thomas. The album is called Blue Country Soul. And I did promise people the Celine Dion story. We will get to that after we hear the next song. Uh, We'll also talk about Tim Taylor as well. He's a big writer on the album. Uh, with you and yeah. a great uh, artist himself back in the day and, and a songwriter these days. So the song we're going to play next is Lock the Door. And uh, what can you tell me about this one? Um, well, I, I think that we, we Tim and I were uh, sitting together, and this is the last session we did, which was basically uh, May um, 2015, right before the session. I, I just had this feeling that I, I I didn't have the record I wanted yet, so I went down to write with Tim again, and again we wrote four songs in four days, um, and Lock the Door was just basically that you know I grew up listening to to Fair and Young and Fair and Young looms so large in in my history musically, and so so large that I named my son after him. My son's oh, wow. name is Farron. In fact, my my son's name is Farron Marshall Wade Lang. That's his full name. And yep. the funniest thing about that is, if you know anything about about uh, Farron Young, you know what his nickname was, which was the Sheriff. That's why his middle name is Marshall. Gotcha. Oh, nice. <laughs> so basically, it. it was yeah, and I I. I don't can't I don't even know if we had the hook. Uh maybe we were dancing with something else and and hammering it out and and we just ended up with lock the door. But we both uh Tim and I both um love those songs and you know there's a Bakersfield thing about that as well, you know that whole you know lock the door, you know that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so although there there actually is another story here and I don't want to take too long for, you know, this might end up being too long of an interview for you, but I got to tell you that there's a little for it, yeah. a sound that happens after lock the door. Now in, in Bakersfield music, that would be, that would be like a, or Dwight Yoakam, that would be like Tom Toms, right? Yeah. Right. So it's not, it's this other sound. <laughs> now, if you actually listen for that sound, you're going to find that, on Charlie Rich's Behind Closed Doors in the modulation between the first and the second verse. There's a sound. 
And it stuck with me for my entire life. So when we're in the studio, I just had to have that sound because it sounds like a door locking. And and so I had to go on the Internet and, and find that song and play it for Gary Craig. And then he heard it and he goes, okay. So he walks in and then he does it. It's hilarious. That but, is so uh, cool. Yeah. It that was is so, so cool that a sound from a song inspired you or stayed with you and you had to have that. And I got to go back and listen to that song because I know it very well, but I've got to listen for that sound you're mentioning because the, the behind closed doors, I love that song. That's where that's how my brain works. I can't help it. <laughs> I can't escape it. I'm stuck in it. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and did he get the sound from, uh, from an instrument or from that song or how did you get that exact sound? Oh, he played it the way it was done on the record. He played it? Yeah, okay. he, he listened to it cool. and he figured out how to do it, and he nailed it. And and uh, yeah, when he, when he does it on the record, it's it's just the way uh, the drummer did it on Charlie Rich's session. And uh, you know, I don't know who that drummer was. Um, I wish I did because um, you know everything Billy Sherrill did was, is a big deal mm-hmm. to me. But yeah, Gary Craig awesome. nailed it. So let's hear that song now. From my guest, Thomas Wade, you'll find it on his album, Blue Country Soul, which is available at iTunes. This is Lock the Door on In the Country. Lock the door when you just can't take the crazy anymore. Stand right there, let down your hair, let all your the door when you just can't take the crazy anymore stand back there let down your hair let all your cares fall to the floor come with me let's see if I can't make you smile just lock the door leave the world Just us two You don't have to say a word I know what to do Lock the door When you just can't take the crazy anymore Stand right there Let down your hair Let all your cares fall to Set our wheel. 
And that is my guest, Thomas Wade. The song is called Lock the Door here on In the Country and the album, Blue Country Soul, available at iTunes. Now, Celine Dion, huge, you know, goes without saying, huge artist, recorded one of your songs, Thomas, back in 2004, a great song called Come to Me. Tell me that story. (laughs) Well, it's still kind of surreal. I have to admit that when you're you're introducing it, I'm going, is that me? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it really is, um, which is nice. You know, it kind of helps to open a door or two here and there. And it paid mm. off a few credit cards. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, I, I started writing that song uh, in 2000. I was down in uh, Nashville writing with uh, Beverly Mahood. Um, yep. And I got up one morning, and we I'd been writing quite a bit, uh, working pretty hard. And, and I, I work in a lot of uh, – I, I had been writing a lot in sort of drop D, which is a, a certain tuning. But it basically, it, it's it's not that difficult. You just drop the E string, the the low E to the D, and it makes a lot of the string, a lot of the chords sound bigger, right? Uh, sort okay. of makes D sound bigger. And I've been doing a lot of that and really developing it uh, since I'd, I'd worked with uh, Amy Sky. Um, I started doing that basically because I I was working with her as a as a duo and sometimes a trio, so I had to be right. the bass and the guitar at the same time, and sometimes the bass guitar and the piano at the same time. And so I'd been doing all this writing in that particular tuning, and I woke up in the morning and I thought, "Geez, I, I just I I have this feeling that I'm repeating myself. I feel like it's kind of sneaking up on me, and I'm repeating myself, and that's." kind of creative death you know when you start getting formulaic to me that's that's creative death so i um i decided to tune my guitar so i couldn't play it okay so i tuned my guitar till i you know couldn't play it i didn't know what to do and i just messed around and i started feeling this this sort of uh motif coming out and Right. All I could hear is, "Come to me." So I could just hear that, and uh, so then I worked on it and developed it, and eventually um, it was finished. And uh, Beverly had it on potentially uh, part of her uh, one of her albums, and. They uh, went down, they were friends of David Foster, and they brought it down to him and played it for him. And he said, um, yeah, you're going to take that song off that record. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, you don't really argue too much with Celine, with uh, David Foster. And no, not at all. <laughs> no. So, basically, uh, we, we ended up getting... Uh, Celine Dion recorded the song, and that's amazing. I didn't actually even know for sure that she'd recorded it till a few days before, which sounds crazy, but it's true. 
And uh, the morning that uh, the album came out, my wife woke up before me and, you know, Walmart opens at seven in the morning or something. And I was still sleeping and she went off to Walmart and picked it up and woke me up playing that song. Wow. So, yeah. It still sounds kind of surreal. Um, no doubt. And I've I mean, never met uh, Dion. <laughs> okay. Everybody asks me that. You have you met Yeah, Celine so Dion? you have, up to this point you have not met her. No, and I got a feeling that unless I write another smash for her or something, <laughs> it's just never going to happen. Um, <laughs> One is not enough, right? You've got to write two to at least meet her. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, I that's have a good to thing to have on your list. And I had those visions that it was going to happen. I'd meet her, and we were going to have a single and all that. But you know, um, to it was an amazing honor, and you know, even not just an amazing honor. Let's face it. You know, having a song on a Celine Dion record is uh, a real game changer. And, uh, man, I'm just proud of it. I love the song, and, and this, I wrote the song basically for my son. Um, nice. If you listen to the lyrics, you know, the, that's uh, it's basically a song that I wrote for my son. And uh, how, you know, how cool is that? You know, most people, are, a lot of people write songs for their kids. And that's as far as it goes. I wrote a song for my kid. <laughs> Celine Dion recorded it. Makes me wish I had more kids. <laughs> that's a great line. Exactly. You know, if you had five or six kids, you could almost have a full album. Come on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'll have to ask with Denise when she gets home. <laughs> there you go. It's for the career, honey. It's for the career. Yeah, honey. <laughs> That is so cool. And you did your version of um, of the song, Come to Me, uh, that night at uh, the Tin Pan North event, which was really cool. Do you enjoy singing it yourself at those kind of uh, those kind of opportunities? I love singing it myself. And the only issue with that song is that I have to admit that I can barely get through it. Okay. Um, because... I, I end up thinking about my son, and um, I don't know why. It just makes me, I almost cry. So basically every time I sing it, uh, by the time I get to the second verse, um, I'm really hanging on to it. And wow, that's, uh, makes it's hard to sing when you cry. I don't know if you've tried, but it's very difficult. <laughs> no, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, no. Yeah, I've seen singers do it, as we all have. Obviously, it's hard. I mean, it can be very touching, obviously, to see somebody get that move. But then, as as you say, for the singer, it's kind of hard to keep going. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, but I also love Cannot, the fact that it uh, affects me so much. And right. you know, I mean, that's that's what you, that's what songwriting is is supposed to be about. Yeah. You know, songs are supposed to move the singer and. And the listener, that's that's what's supposed to happen. That, exactly. That, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and another song of yours from your career as a solo artist that moved me, and we talked about the song, and you said a lot of people bring this song up, uh, the song Lying Here With You. I remember hearing that the first time on the radio back when it was, back when it was on, and uh, just thinking it was just a great song, song, and there was a video for it as well on CMT, and it's just a very heartfelt, uh, moving song. Yeah, um, 
a lot of people have said that they feel like it's my um my best song um I don't know that I think I don't think of it that way but I guess that's like thinking of you know which one's your best kid you know if you have more than one kid um I uh, I'm I'm very proud of that song and um I uh I I you know I remember the first time we ever sang that song live uh it had just been Basically, it was a just piano vocal. Uh, we sang it at a bar in in Toronto called the Birchmount Tavern, and it was just oh yeah, this uh, Newfie bar. Uh, yep. And I don't mean that term derog- in a derogative uh, derogatory way. Um, my uh, my sister in law is a Newfie girl, and we just love her to death. And the heart and soul of the country, if you ask me. Um, and this bar, you know, was just always so active and so loud, and they had such fun there. And usually, the stuff we played there is just real party music. And uh, but this song had just been written, so it was like, and we were looking at recording. So it was like, okay, well, let's do this. And uh, so we played "Lying Here with You," and it was, as I said, it was piano and vocal and the entire place just shut up and listened and erupted afterwards and in fact we did that song at the the Nashville Entertainment Association Showcase in 1994 which is a very big deal we were the only band and the only Canadians on the show and again we Mm -hmm. did it uh, piano and vocal and we got a standing ovation, and it was uh, industry people only. And that was oh the moment goodness. when everybody thought, this is it, man, this, we're, we're going to get signed. We never got signed. But uh, oh. that song has been, uh, you know, it's figured large for me, and it was a number one video, and that was awesome. Um, yeah. To sit there and watch that. and uh, Just, uh, but I'm, I'm still just glad that it's it's touched a lot of people i mean i've had so many personal uh stories of people who've been in relationships where they sort of needed to come to the realization that it was over and that song has kind of been the thing that took them to that point um you know which is going to make half the people really love me and half of them hate me Can't please all the people all the time. That's right. Well, story can't keep life. everybody happy. Nope. <laughs> it is such a beautiful song. You know, the first time, and I've told you this before, the first time I heard it, the first couple of times, I guess I knew it wasn't Lee Greenwood, but something about the vocal and the song kept thinking, is this a new Lee Greenwood song? It had that kind of feel, which is a compliment because I'm a huge Lee no. Greenwood fan. I totally take that as a Lee Greenwood as a as a compliment. I mean, I am a Lee Greenwood fan. Uh that's that's one of my influences. Um you know, um I O U uh yeah. she's oh. lying. Oh my god. Yes. Totally yeah. Ring on her finger, time Lee on Greenwood. her hands. Oh my god. Those songs yeah. are incredible and uh just the titles give me a chill. 
And, oh. yeah, so, so, I mean, that's quite an honor for me if you, if you thought that. Uh, that's what I thought, yeah. That's that, exactly what, what I thought of the that time. man has, you know. Oh. And the song. I, I grew up geez. listening to him. The first song I heard of his was IOU, and I think I did hear it on CKY. So it wasn't a country station. They were playing, I guess, as an easy listening song. Discovered Lee Greenwood at that point, went out and bought all the albums he had prior to that, however many there were a couple of them. And then since then, and of course Dixie Road, which is a great up-tempo song of his, my heart goes, uh, whatever the line is, down that dusty Dixie Road, which is a wonderful song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's amazing. He's got, yeah, so many. um, uh, You know, I could uh, spend a night uh, going through uh, Lee Greenwood songs. Um, I saw him live one time. Uh, I, I used to work with Marie Bottrell and she got to. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was part of her touring band. Wayward was her one of her touring bands at one point back in '84, I think. And uh, she opened up for Lee Greenwood at one point. I guess they got to know each mm. other and. And uh, so that was a pretty cool moment for me to get to be around for that. Um, but wow, what a voice. In- incredible. Yeah, love him. Uh, let's turn to another song of yours. And while we're talking about the song, you can also talk more about Tim Taylor, your co-writer on a bunch of the songs on the album. Uh, he was an artist back in the day. He's a great songwriter. And uh, the song we're going to play in a moment is called Funny what makes you cry from the album Blue Country Soul? So, what can you tell me about Tim, and then leading into that song? Well, the first thing I got to tell you about Tim is uh, when I, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, younger entertainer, uh, Tim Taylor was was quite well known. Um, I remember when uh, I believe he and Anita won a Juno. Um, I, I may be wrong about that, but I don't think so. Uh, and I remember seeing them uh, performing together, and I just I thought that he was just the cat's meow. I mean, he was so talented. And uh, mm-hmm. I met him in 1993 at the CCMAs because uh, we had done a showcase at the CCMAs in Hamilton in 1993. And he came up to me and he was so humble and I was just floored. I wanted to say to him, what the hell are you being so humble for? You're Tim Taylor. (laughs) I'm a nobody man. And I, I was just floored by what kind of guy he was, what kind of person he was. And, um, we started writing, um, right after that, uh, Mm-hmm. The first single that uh, Thomas Wade and Wayward ever had, uh, "Sitting Pretty," is a, is a co-write with uh, Tim Taylor, and uh, uh, one of our uh, CCMA Single and Song of the Year uh, awards is uh, with Tim. Uh, she's getting serious, and uh, Tim is uh, Tim is just uh, a great writer. I mean, he is he is his he's like the rock of Gibraltar of, of writers. I mean, nobody understands writing as clearly as he does, in my opinion. Mm. Um, uh, he, and for me, he's, 
he was the only writer that I ever wrote with that I ever felt was that when I wrote with him, it was a totally 50-50 kind of thing. Okay. Least, you know, I, I don't want to insult anybody, but that's the way I felt. That with Tim and I, that's how it was. I mean, we brought such an equal thing to the table. Um, mm-hmm. And then later on, when I wrote with him this, you know, these last couple of times, it was like he was the only choice because I knew he was like me and that he, he loves not just music, but the entire history of music and, uh, you know, an understanding of, of the, the changing, uh, tides of music, you know, that, that's something that I'm very involved in and Tim is too. So it was kind of like he was the only person that I knew who really understood what I was trying to do. And he understood it so well that I didn't even know I was trying to do it till I wrote the first song of this new record with him, which was Funny What Makes You Cry. And when we finished that song, we both looked at each other dumbfounded and thought, <laughs> holy crap, we just wrote a Frank Sinatra song. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a standard. This is an instant standard. Yeah. <laughs> did it start with the title? Yes, it did. It did. It's a great title. And that that's a Tim title. That's Tim's title. Uh he uh I mean when we write, we start out by he fires out a title and I'll fire out one and then we fire back and forth and then until one catches and then we'll go, okay, we'll explore it and sometimes we'll get about 20 minutes into it and go yeah that's not going anywhere maybe we'll look at it later and then we keep going uh this one caught fire right away and as soon as he said it it was you know i i have such a love for sinatra and even more uh nat king cole is uh Mm -hmm. one of my my favorite singers of all time and if you if you listen to that phrasing in the first line, and and you listen to to Nat King Cole, you'll hear, you know how how much I borrowed from Nat King Cole, just the phrasing alone, and um, I think it drove the entire song. And I love the uh, one of the lines that stands out is the uh, the live love laugh sign she hung on the wall. It's yeah, just, uh, I can picture that. Tell me about that. Did that uh, was that just a moment that of inspiration? Was, well, I have this thing that I do every once in a while when I'm writing, and when I come up with with a line that um, that is just I think is awesome, and it's funny mm-hmm. because when I do this, it's not that I it's not an ego thing. It's not it's not that I that I think oh I'm great. It's not like that. Sometimes when a line comes out, it happens. It it happens almost before you can judge it. It just comes out. So it's yep. like you're listening to someone else. You know, it's like it comes from somewhere else. And with me, it was like I was imagining the end of this day of this this guy who had, had you know this tremendous loss during this day, and. And I could see what was happening with the sun. And 
and it's like my mind just processed it, and and then, and then I was singing it, and I didn't hear it until I sang it. And uh, I have this thing; it's called my maniacal laughter. And sometimes it's like I fall down, even if it's a you know it's a really good line. I like fall down and laugh my head off. Yep. And um, <laughs> that's what happened. It was just like yeah. I couldn't even believe it. It you know it. Such like a great I said, line. There's no ego involved. It's it's really mm-hmm. uh, you know it's almost like when you're a writer, you're really just your quality control. That's what it really is. Yep. Um, you do everything you can to be ready to receive something. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you're good at, you know, you've got to the point where you can discard the stuff that doesn't, that isn't going to do it. There you are receiving this, this line that's just like, wow. And uh, <laughs> thank you for, for catching that, that actually, because yeah. um, that's one of those things. It's just, uh, those, that's one of the moments that, that, that make you want to be a writer. That's it. You know, when you mm-hmm. when you have that happen one time, um, there's no drug as good as that. Um, I mean, I love no scotch, doubt. but I've never had a drink of scotch that was ever as good as that line. <laughs> <laughs> there's a line right there. I like that. Uh, that's poetry. Second, just cook. <laughs> I put that in my phone, but I'm talking to you right now. I'll have to do it later. There you go. There you go. That's that's a great line. I've never had a scotch, but. Uh, Gave me the thrill that that line did, or however you tweak it. Let's turn to that song now, because this is, we've, you've talked about it, and we've talked about it. It's a beautiful song. It's from the Blue Country Soul album from my guest, Thomas Wade. This is called Funny What Makes You Cry on In the Country. on the shelf she was meaning to read and the hook on the door where her robe used to be and the frilly white curtains I never did like funny what makes you cry single red rose by her side of the bed faded and withered and hanging its head in this lonely room where love lived and died funny what makes you from the door as she walked away stood there like a stone with nothing to say no we never even said goodbye I just turned around walked inside As the day slips away And the night starts to fall That live, love, and laugh That she hung on the wall Disappears in the shadows Like the love in her eyes Funny what makes 
And that is Thomas Wade, a beautiful song from his new album. The song is called Funny, What Makes You Cry. And you'll uh, find that song and the whole album, Blue Country Soul, at iTunes. Thomas, thanks so much for being here. It's been great to have the time to chat and hear the stories behind the songs and the Celine Dion story and uh, all that you came through through the struggle with losing your voice, back to your voice, and uh, the great album that's out now. Awesome. Well, it's been uh, so great to talk to you talk with you today Dave and uh, uh, thanks for you know thanks for being a fan of this record I hope that uh, uh, I can attract some more people to listen to this record let's hope so from hearing the stories and the songs that we played on the show there are plenty more great songs on that album i am a fan of it as i've as i've mentioned as you just mentioned blue country soul uh has thomas wade in great vocal form uh and be sure to get that at itunes i'm dave woods and that'll wrap up this edition of in the country <laughs> 